Sunday, June twenty-first. Dearest Kitty, our entire class is quaking in its boots. The reason, of course, is the upcoming meeting in which the teachers decide who will be promoted to the next grade and who will be kept back. Half the class is making bets. G said, and I laugh ourselves sick at the two boys behind us, C N and Jack Cosnut, who have staked their entire vacation savings on that bet. From morning to night, it's you're going to pass. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Even G's pleading glances and my angry outbursts can't calm them down. If you ask me, there are so many dummies that about a quarter of the class should be kept back. But teachers are the most unpredictable creatures on earth. Maybe this time they'll be unpredictable in the right direction for a change. I'm not so worried about my girlfriends and myself. We'll make it. The only subject I'm not sure about is math. Anyway, all we can do is wait. Until then, we keep telling each other not to lose heart. I get along pretty well with all my teachers. There are nine of them: seven men and two women. Mr. Keezing, the old foggy who teaches math, was mad at me for the longest time because I talked so much. After several warnings, he assigned me extra homework: an essay on the subject of chatterbox. A chatterbox. What can you write about that? I worry about the later. I decided. I jotted down the assignment in my notebook, tucked it in my bag, and tried to keep quiet. That evening, after I'd finished the rest of my homework, the note about the essay caught my eye. I began thinking about the subject while chewing the tip of my fountain pen. Anyone could ramble on and leave big spaces between the words, but the trick was to come up with the convincing arguments to prove the necessity of talking. I thought and thought, and suddenly I had an idea. I wrote the three pages Mr. Keezing had assigned me and was satisfied. I argued that talking is a female trait and that I would do my best to keep it under control, but that I would never be able to break myself of the habit, since my mother talked as much as I did, if not more, and that there's not much you can do about inherited traits. Mr. Keezing had a good laugh at my arguments. But when I proceeded to talk my way through the next class, he assigned me a second essay. This time, it was supposed to be on an incorrigible chatterbox. I handed it in, and Mr. Keezing had nothing to complain about for two whole classes. However, during the third class, he'd finally had enough. And Frank, as punishment for talking in class, wrote an essay entitled "Quack Quack Quack," said Mistress Chatterback. The class roared. I had to laugh too. Though I'd nearly exhausted my ingenuity on topic of chatterboxes, it was time to come up with something else, something original. My friend San, who's good at poetry, offered to help me write the essay from beginning to end in verse. I jumped for joy. Keezing was trying to play a joke on me with this ridiculous subject, but I'd make sure the joke was on him. I finished my poem, and it was beautiful. It was about a mother duck and a father swan with three baby ducklings who were bitten to death by the father because they quacked too much. Luckily, Keezing took the joke the right way. He read the poem to the class, adding his own comments and to several other classes as well. Since then, I've been allowed to talk and haven't been assigned any extra homework. On the contrary, Keezing's always making jokes these days. Yours, Anne. Wednesday, June twenty-fourth, nineteen forty-two. Dearest Kitty. It's sweltering. Everyone is huffing and puffing, and in this heat, I have to walk everywhere. Only now do I realize how pleasant a streetcar is. But we Jews are no longer allowed to make use of this luxury. Our own two feet are good enough for us. Yesterday at lunchtime, I had an appointment with the dentist on Edjan Lukenstrat. 
It's a long way from our school and starts time at two. That afternoon, I nearly fell asleep at my desk. Fortunately, people automatically offer you something to drink. The dental assistant is really kind. The only mode of transportation left to us is the ferry. The ferryman at Joseph Israel Carter took us across when we asked him to. It's not the fault of the Dutch that we Jews are having such a bad time. I wish I didn't have to go to school. My bike was stolen during Easter vacation, and father gave mother's bike to some Christian friends for safekeeping. Thank goodness summer vacation is almost here. One more week and our torment will be over. Something unexpected happened yesterday morning. As I was passing the bicycle racks, I heard my name being called. I turned around and there was the nice boy I'd met the evening before at my friend Wilma's. He's Wilma's second cousin. I used to think Wilma was nice, which she was, but all she ever talks about is boys, and that gets to be a bore. He came toward me, somewhat shyly, and introduced himself as Hello Silverberg. I was a little surprised and wasn't sure what he wanted, but it didn't take me long to find out. He asked if I would allow him to accompany me to school. As long as you're headed that way, I'll go with you. I said, and so we walked together. Hello is sixteen and good at telling all kinds of funny stories. He was waiting for me again this morning, and I expect he will be from now on. And Wednesday, July first, nineteen forty-two. Dearest Kitty, until today I honestly couldn't find the time to write you. I was with friends all day Thursday. We had company on Friday. And that's how it went until today. Hello, and I have gotten to know each other very well this past week. And he's told me a lot about his life. He comes from Gelsenkirchen and is living with his grandparents. His parents are in Belgium, but there's no way he can get there. Hello, used to have a girlfriend named Ursula. I know her too. She's perfectly sweet and perfectly boring. Ever since he met me, Hello has realized that he's been falling asleep at Ursula's side. So I'm kind of a peptonic. You never know what you're good for. Jack spent Saturday night here. Sunday afternoon she was at Hanali's, and I was bored stiff. Hello was supposed to come over that evening, but he called around six. I answered the phone, and he said, "This is Helmer Silverberg. May I please speak to Anne?" Oh, hello. This is Anne. Oh, hi, Anne. How are you? Fine, thanks. I just wanted to say I'm sorry, but I can't come tonight. Though I would like to have a word with you, is it all right if I come by and pick you up in about ten minutes? Yes, that's fine. Bye bye. Okay, I'll be right over. Bye bye. I hung up, quickly changed my clothes and fixed my hair. I was so nervous I leaned out the window to watch for him. He finally showed up. Miracle of miracles. I didn't rush down the stairs, but waited quietly until he rang the bell. I went down to open the door, and he got right to the point. And. My grandparents thinks you're too young for me to be seeing you on a regular basis. She says I should be going to the lower bars, but you probably know that I am not going out with Ursula anymore. No, I didn't know. What happened? Did you two have a fight? No, nothing like that. I told Ursula that we weren't suited to each other, and so it was better for us not to go together anymore. But that she was welcome at my house, and I hoped I would be welcome at hers. Actually, I thought Ursula was hanging around with another boy, and I treated her as if she were. But that wasn't true. And then my uncle said I should apologize to her, but of course I didn't feel like it, and that's why I broke up with her. But that was just one of the reasons. Now my grandmother wants me to see Ursula and not you, but I don't agree, and I'm not going to. 
Sometimes old people have really old-fashioned ideas, but that doesn't mean I have to go along with them. I need my grandparents, but in a certain sense, they need me too. From now on, I'll be free on Wednesday evenings. You see, my grandparents made me sign up for a wood carving class, but actually, I go to a club organized by the Zionists. My grandparents don't want me to go because they're anti-Zionists. I'm not a fanatic Zionist, but it interests me. Anyway, it's been such a mess lately that I'm planning to quit. So next Wednesday will be my last meeting. That means I can see you Wednesday evening, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, Sunday afternoon, and maybe even more. But if your grandparents don't want you to, you shouldn't go behind their backs. All's fair in love and war. Just then we passed Blankafoot Bookstore, and there was Peter Schiff with two other boys. It was the first time he'd said hello to me in ages, and it really made me feel good. Monday evening, hello came over to meet father and mother. I had bought a cake and some candy, and we had tea and cookies. The works, but neither hello nor I felt like sitting stiffly on our chairs, so we went out for a walk. He didn't deliver me to my door until ten past eight. Father was furious. He said it was very wrong of me not to get home on time. I had to promise to be home by ten to eight in the future. I've been asked to hello's on Saturday. Wilma told me that one night when Hello was at her house, she asked him, "Who do you like best, Ursel or Anne?" He said, "It's none of your business." But as he was leaving, he said, "Well, I like Anne better, but don't tell anyone." Bye, and whoosh, he was out the door. In everything he says or does, I can see that Hello is in love with me, and it's kind of nice for a change. Margaret would say that Hello is eminently suitable. I think so too, but he's more than that. Mother is also full of praise. A good-looking boy, nice and polite. I'm glad he's so popular with everyone, except with my girlfriends. He thinks they're very childish, and he's right about that. Jack still teases me about him, but I'm not in love with him. Not really. It's all right for me to have boys as friends. Nobody minds. Mother is always asking me who I'm going to marry when I grow up, but I bet she'll never guess it's Peter, because I asked her out of that idea myself. Without batting an eyelash, I love Peter as I've never loved anyone, and I tell myself he's only going around with all those other girls to hide his feelings for me. Maybe he thinks Hello and I are in love with each other, which we're not. He's just a friend, or as Mother puts it, a beau. Yours, Anne. Sunday, July fifth, nineteen forty-two. Dear Kitty, the graduation ceremony in the Jewish Theatre on Friday went as expected. My report card wasn't too bad. I got one D, a C in algebra, and all the rest Bs, except for two B pluses and two B minuses. My parents are pleased, but they're not like other parents when it comes to grades. They never worry about report cards, good or bad. As long as I'm healthy and happy and don't talk back too much, they're satisfied. If these three things are all right, everything else would take care of itself. I'm just the opposite. I don't want to be a poor student. I was accepted to the Jewish Lyceum on a conditional basis. I was supposed to stay in the seventh grade at the Montessori school, but when Jewish children were required to go to Jewish schools, Mr. Eld finally agreed, after a great deal of persuasion, to accept Lise Gosler and me. Lise also passed this year, though she has to repeat her geometry exam. Poor Lise! It isn't easy for her to study at home. Her babysitter, a spoiled little two-year-old. Plays in her room all day. If Gabby doesn't get her way, she starts screaming. And if Lise doesn't look after her, 
Mrs. Gosta starts screaming. So Lise has a hard time doing her homework, and as long as that's the case, the tutoring she's been getting won't help much. The Gosta household is really a sight. Mrs. Gosta's parents live next door, but eat with the family. Then there's a hired girl, the baby, the always absent-minded and absent Mr. Gosler, and the always nervous and irritable Mrs. Gosler, who's expecting another baby, lies, whose all thumbs gets lost in the mayhem. My sister Margaret has also gotten her report card, brilliant as usual. If we had such a thing as cum laude, she would have passed with honors. She's so smart. Father has been home a lot lately. There's nothing for him to do at the office. It must be awful to feel you're not needed. Mister Clayman has taken over Opecta, and Mister Kugler, Geese and Co. The company dealing in spices and spice substitutes that was set up in 1941. A few days ago, as we were taking a stroll round our neighbourhood square, Father began to talk about going into hiding. He said it would be very hard for us to live cut off from the rest of the world. I asked him why he was bringing this up now. Well, Anne, he replied, "You know that for more than a year we've been bringing clothes, food, and furniture to other people. We don't want our belongings to be seized by the Germans, nor do we want to fall into their clutches ourselves. So we'll leave of our own accord and not wait to be hauled away." But when, father, he sounded so serious that I felt scared. Don't you worry. We'll take care of everything. Just enjoy your carefree life while you can. That was it. Oh, may these somber words not come true for as long as possible. The doorbell's ringing. Hello's here. Time to stop. Yours, Anne. Wednesday, July eighth, nineteen forty-two. Dearest Kitty, it seems like years since Sunday morning. So much has happened. It's as if the whole world had suddenly turned upside down. But as you can see, Kitty, I'm still alive, and that's the main thing. Father says I'm alive, all right. But don't ask where or how. You probably don't understand a word I'm saying today, so I'll begin by telling you what happened Sunday afternoon. At three o'clock, the doorbell rang. I didn't hear it since I was out on the balcony, lazily reading in the sun. A little while later, Margaret appeared in the kitchen doorway, looking very agitated. Father has received a call-up notice from the SS. She whispered, "Mother has gone to see Mr. Van Dam." I was stunned. A call-up. Everyone knows what that means. Visions of concentration camps and lonely cells raced through my head. How could we let Father go to such a fate? Of course he's not going," declared Margaret as we waited for Mother in the living room. Mother's gone to Mr. Van Dam to ask whether we can move to our hiding place tomorrow. The Van Dams are going with us. There will be seven of us all together. Silence. We couldn't speak. The thought of father off visiting someone in a Jewish hospital and completely unaware of what was happening, the long wait for mother, the heat, the suspense—all this reduced us to silence. Suddenly, the doorbell rang again. "That's hello," I said. "Don't open the door!" exclaimed Margaret to stop me. But it wasn't necessary, since we heard mother and Mister Van Dam downstairs talking to hello, and then the two of them came inside and shut the door behind them. Every time the bell rang. Either Margaret or I had to tiptoe downstairs to see if it was Father, and we didn't let anyone else in. Margaret and I were sent from the room, as Mr. Van Dam wanted to talk to Mother alone. When she and I were sitting in our bedroom, Margaret told me that the call-up was not for Father but for her. At this second shock, I began to cry. Margaret is sixteen. Apparently, they want to send girls her age away on their own, but thank goodness she won't be going. Mother had said so herself. 
which must be what father had meant when he talked to me about our going into hiding. Hiding. Where would we hide? In a city? In a country? In a house? In a shack? When? Where? How? These were questions I wasn't allowed to ask, but they still kept running through my mind. Margaret and I started packing our most important belongings into a school bag. The first thing I stuck in was this diary, and then curlers, handkerchiefs, school books, a comb, and some old letters. Preoccupied by the thought of going into hiding, I stuck the craziest things in the bag, but I'm not sorry. Memories mean more to me than dresses. Father finally came home around five o'clock. And we called Mr. Clayman to ask if he could come by that evening. Mr. Van Den left and went to get Meep. Meep arrived and promised to return later that night, taking with her a bag full of shoes, dresses, jackets, underwear, and stockings. After that, it was quiet in our apartment. None of us felt like eating. It was still hot, and everything was very strange. We had rented our big upstairs room to a goldsmith, a divorced man in his thirties. Who apparently had nothing to do that evening, since despite all our polite hints, he hung around until ten o'clock. Meep and Yang Hees came at eleven. Meep, who's worked for father's company since 1933, has become a close friend, and so has her husband Yang. Once again, shoes, stockings, books, and underwear disappeared into Meep's bag and Yang's deep pockets. At 11:30, they too disappeared. I was exhausted, and even though I knew it'd be my last night in my own bed. I fell asleep right away and didn't wake up until mother called me at five thirty the next morning. Fortunately, it wasn't as hot as Sunday. A warm rain fell throughout the day. The four of us were wrapped in so many layers of clothes it looked as if we were going off to spend the night in the refrigerator, and all that just so we could take more clothes of us. No Jew in our situation would dare leave the house with a suitcase full of clothes. I was wearing two undershirts. Three pairs of underpants, a dress, and over that a skirt, a jacket, a raincoat, two pairs of stockings, heavy shoes, a cap, a scarf, and lots more. I was suffocating even before we left the house, but no one bothered to ask me how I felt. Margaret stuffed her school bag with school books, went to get her bicycle, and with me leading the way, rode off into the great unknown. At any rate, that's how I thought of it, since I still didn't know where our hiding place was. At seven thirty, we two closed the door behind us. Morge, my cat, was the only living creature I said goodbye to. According to a note we left for Mister Goldschmidt, she was to be taken to the neighbors, who would give her a good home. The strip beds, the breakfast things on the table, the pound of meat for the cat in the kitchen—all of these created the impression that we'd left in a hurry. But we weren't interested in impressions. We just wanted to get out of there, to get away and reach our destination in safety. Nothing else mattered. More tomorrow. Yours, M. Thursday, July ninth, nineteen forty-two. Dearest Kitty, so there we were, father, mother, and I, walking in the pouring rain, each of us with a school bag and a shopping bag filled to the brim with the most varied assortment of items. The people on their way to work at that early hour gave us sympathetic looks. You could tell by the faces that they were sorry they couldn't offer us some kind of transportation. The conspicuous yellow star spoke for itself. Only when we were walking down the street did father and mother reveal, little by little, what the plan was. For months, we'd been moving as much of our furniture and apparel out of the apartment as we could. It was agreed that we'd go into hiding on July sixteenth. Because of Margaret's call-up notice, the plan had to be moved up ten days, which meant we'd have to make do with less orderly rooms. 
The hiding place was located in father's office building. That's a little hard for outsiders to understand. So I'll explain. Father didn't have a lot of people working in his office. Just Mr. Kugler, Mr. Clayman, me, and a 23-year-old typist named Bab Foskajor, all of whom were informed of our coming. Mr. Foskajor, Bab's father, works in the warehouse along with two assistants. None of them were told anything. Here's a description of the building. The large warehouse on the ground floor is used as a workroom and storeroom, and is divided into several different sections, such as the stockroom and the milling room, where cinnamon, cloves, and a pepper substitute are ground. Next to the warehouse doors is another outside door, a separate entrance to the office. Just inside the office door is a second door, and beyond that, a stairway. At the top of the stairs is another door. With a frosted window on which the word "office" is written in black letters. This is the big front office, very large, very light, and very full. Beb, Meep, and Mr. Clayman work there during the day. After passing through an alcove containing a safe, a wardrobe, and a big supply cupboard, you come to the small, dark, stuffy back office. This used to be shared by Mr. Kugler and Mr. Van Dam, but now Mr. Kugler is its only occupant. Mr. Kugler's office can also be reached from the hallway. But only through a glass door that can be opened from the inside, but not easily from the outside. If you leave Mr. Kugler's office and proceed through the long, narrow hallway past the coal bin and go up four steps, you find yourself in the private office, the showpiece of the entire building. Elegant mahogany furniture, a linoleum floor covered with throw rugs, a radio, a fancy lamp, everything first class. Next door is a spacious kitchen with a hot water heater and two gas burners, and beside that a bathroom. That's the second floor. A wooden staircase leads from the downstairs hallway to the third floor. At the top of the stairs is a landing, with doors on either side. The door on the left takes you up to the spice storage area, attic, and loft in the front part of the house. A typically Dutch, very steep. Ankle-twisting flight of stairs also runs from the front part of the house to another door opening onto the street. The door to the right of the landing leads to the secret annex at the back of the house. No one would ever suspect there were so many rooms behind the plain grey door. There's just one small step in front of the door, and then you're inside. Straight ahead of you is a steep flight of stairs. To the left is a narrow hallway opening onto a room that serves as the Frank family's living room and bedroom. Next door is a smaller room, the bedroom and study of the two young ladies of the family. To the right of the stairs is a windowless washroom with a link. The door in the corner leads to the toilet and another one to Margaret's and my room. If you go up the stairs and open the door at the top, you're surprised to see such a large, light and spacious room in an old canal-side house like this. It contains a stove and a sink. This will be the kitchen and bedroom of Mr. and Mrs. Van Dam, as well as the general living room, dining room, and study for us all. A tiny side room is to be Peter Van Dam's bedroom. Then, just as in the front part of the building, there's an attic and a loft. So there you are. Now I've introduced you to the whole of our lovely annex. Yours.